From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Jennifer Christiansen, the Managing Director of Perkins & Will in Minneapolis, talks to FNC reporter J.D. Duggan. Christiansen talks about how people use space, sustainability, and building design, and how the shifting nature of work is impacting design decisions. Today, I am happy to be joined by Jennifer Christiansen. Uh, She recently stepped into the role as Managing Director of Perkins & Will's Minneapolis studio and is one of few women who hold this role within the industry. Uh, Perkins & Will is an architecture firm that's known locally for some projects like the U of M's Bell Museum, um, the IDS Tower's Crystal Court renovation, and many projects with the Mayo Clinic. Hey, Jennifer, thanks for being here. Hi, JD. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, Tell me about your new role. Yeah, so I am um, the managing director of the Perkins & Will Minneapolis studio. Perkins & Will is a global firm. We're the second largest firm uh, that practices architecture. And um, we have 25 offices throughout the world. Um, And, you know, being a woman in this role has been a really exciting opportunity. Um, The managing director role is really about um, creating culture and um, thinking about the strategic vision for the studio. Yeah, awesome. Can you tell me more about, yeah, what that, what, you hope to accomplish in this role and just kind of what what this role means? You know, yeah, absolutely. Right now we are, um, as you and everyone knows, in a, a quite a moment of disruption. Um, there has been some significant change in how we use space, how we engage with space um, because of the pandemic, um, not only related to workplace, which as we all know has completely changed, but just how we think about um, what space means for us, what space means for equity, what space means for well-being, and, and um, how it relates to climate change. There's just sort of many parallel threads coming together right now in this moment, um, post-pandemic, that I really um, feel passionately about and plan to um, weave into what we do as architects, creating spaces for people in the future. Yeah. Cool. I want to ask a bit more about that, but tell me, what's the significance of being a woman in this role? Um, You know, I think I've had support from men and women my entire life. And so um, many of my mentors have been women. Many of my mentors have been men. And I am very grateful for their support. And, um, you know, everything I have have learned throughout my relationships with others, I think my um, compassion 
Um, so kind of almost beyond empathy, but true compassion where you're taking action on empathy is something that I will bring to this. Um, I have a very nurturing style, but I also uh, have been operations director for five years. So I am very much a businesswoman. Um, so I think it's the combination of sort of a deep care for people and for our communities, but also just truly, um, you know, understanding how to run a business and how to, to um, do something for the greater good. Awesome. What initially got you into this field? Oh my gosh, um, that is <laughs> that's all a, a loaded question. I guess a long story. Um, I have wanted to be an architect since I was probably in third or fourth grade. My family moved to Ireland when I was a child, and I spent most of my time just running in, around in fields with castles and lots of different uh, remnants of, of past architecture. And um, we traveled through Europe as a child. Uh, I traveled with my family. And I think just being exposed to different cultures, different ways of living, and um, the different types of spaces that people use in different countries, both the vernacular as well as sort of um, more modern architecture, um, really was impactful to me at that young age. I was 10 till 13. That's when I was just really creating who I was and starting to do that. I also, as most architects will probably say, I have a um, aptitude for math and an aptitude for art. And I just really care about people. And those, you know, so those three things coming together, just a care for people and spaces for, for creativity and innovation, as well as just, you know, the, the logic involved in architecture really led me to this. And then that overlaid with my cultural experience really just felt like a fit. And I've, I've been doing this and, and on the architecture journey since I was very, very young. Yeah, that's really cool. I have never been to Europe and I'd really love to go simply to see just how cities were built in such a different way than they've been built here. Yeah, and how people use spaces differently. I mean, you know, growing up where um, the houses are smaller, I mean, I think a thousand square feet is like the average size of a home in Copenhagen, you know, just people use spaces differently in Europe. Um, you know, the, the I went to graduate school in London and um, it was it's called the Arch Architectural Association and the way that the space had um, kind of grown organically over time to support different studios and different engagement um, is very different than sort of higher education here in the United States. So just sort of across the board, how Europeans um, and different cultures engage with space um, has always been very interesting to me. Yeah. I even noticed that somewhat with some immigrant communities here, just using space maybe differently than kind of white Americans that were that were born here, you know, you know, and JD, that is actually a really great comment and something that I think our architecture profession will be moving towards in the future is um, sort of the canon of Western architecture being what we always seem to think is the right uh, idea for space. And the reality is there's African architecture, there's South American architecture, there's, you know, uh, Asian architecture that sometimes isn't considered when we're designing spaces because it's the Western form of architecture that has sort of created um, in many of our spaces in the United States. So I, I'm thrilled that you're bringing that up because I think um, we're all realizing that as architects, like the way we're educated um, focuses on a certain style. And we need to start thinking about sort of holistically and globally how we engage with different spaces and where those um, where those parameters come from. Yeah, that's really cool. What are some cool projects that Perkins and Will has been involved with recently? Yeah, well, we are a studio of 50 people and we have um, we have 
six practices. So we're doing work across scales and across typologies. We do um, planning and strategies work, which is really research um, into human-centered design. So how do people engage with um, uh, design projects? And planning and strategies typically works with corporate clients. Um, we have a bunch of confidential clients um, that uh, I can't mention, but they, um, you know, we've worked with Microsoft, we've worked with Ameriprise, we've worked with um, the twins to really understand what the future of work looks like for some of those larger organizations. Um, so that's really kind of a very um, data-driven scale of work we do. And then we we do landscape architecture. Um, and so we're working on a community center right now um, for the city of Chaska. We're also um, we're also working on some master plan, master plans and the Upper Harbor Terminal project, um, which is really exciting in our landscape practice. We also have higher education. And so we do a lot of business schools. We are in work. We're working with Kent State University to do a brand new business school. And actually, they are in a moment of transition. We did the design pre-pandemic. And now that we're coming back, they're having us rethink some of their larger philosophies given what happened over the past three years. So that's been exciting for us to continue to work with a client to reimagine given the disruption we've had. Um, we do corporate work um, and uh, and civic work. So we've done work with um, uh, we've done work with Land Lakes, a bunch of work with Land Lakes. We do some work with 3M, so larger corporate clients. And then the last practice we have is healthcare. And so we just finished a big project for Southdale. It's right off of 62. Um, many folks have seen the new addition there. And we um, we really are focusing on well-being with our healthcare practice. So, yeah. Yeah. What does the future of work look like? Oh, that's, I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, everyone comes to us and asks that because I think everyone wants to know, oh, you know, is it hybrid? Is it, is it remote? Um, you know, I, I think what we've learned is it's really personal based on the um, individual organization. And what we're trying to understand is what is missing. You know, so we've started to think about the home as being another component of the workplace. And so what do people not have in their home that they need in the workplace, right? So it's really not necessarily thinking about it just as hybrid, but uh, a space that complements people's homes. And that I think is going to be what workplace will have to be in the future. The, the home is going to continue to be a place where people do business. And we have to figure out a way to blend workspaces, whether it's a real estate decision on square footage or a design decision based on how many meeting rooms you need um, or a cultural decision based on, is it a place just to have a coffee with someone? We're trying to kind of complement that with the home. Yeah. Interesting. You talked you know, we, we've been in this time of disruption. What kind of innovation has your company been involved in or have you seen in architecture and design recently? And you maybe have touched on this a little bit already. Yeah, I mean, I think innovation is is one of our core values uh, in the studio. So um, our, our purpose and mission in the Minneapolis studio is design for the greater good. So everything we touch, we truly believe is... Um, with the purpose of designing for the greater good and how we work together is also designing for the greater good. Our five values that we implement are innovation and I'll get to that. So innovation and research is actually one of the values we really um, uh, believe in and um, work to implement on our projects, well-being, sustainability, um, social responsibility, and design excellence. So those are the five components that we really um, work on on each of our projects. Innovation 
I think is, um, I mean, innovation can be good or bad, right? You want good innovation. And we really believe that innovation with the climate crisis, I think, is kind of top of mind. So what we started to do with Perkins, in Perkins and Will is um, create carbon forecasts so we can understand the carbon impact of all of our projects and communicate that to our clients. Um, I think a lot of what we need to do is to um, help our clients give them information so that they can be more creative and more innovative in how they see their spaces. I also um, am very uh, passionate about equity and justice in spaces. And so I know the AIA nationally has just issued a new um, attachment to their uh, guides to equitable practice, and it's about justice and design. And we actually have a, a woman here who specializes in equity in the built environment and how we actually make spaces that um, make all people feel welcome. So I think innovation from the climate crisis and really from challenging ourselves in how we approach spaces, like as the people we are and how they actually have to serve the, serve the needs of many different types of people is where we're focusing on innovation right now. Yeah. Have you seen a greater demand for more sustainable building? And are you seeing, are you seeing kind of the marketplace uh, responding, responding to this climate crisis? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think timber frame construction is something that's sort of the hot topic right now that, you know, I think everyone is aware that is very beneficial to this movement forward. Um, obviously, using timber versus um, steel and, and concrete is incredibly helpful for the environment, not only from sort of the production standpoint, but also from the fact that when you have a timber frame building, you're kind of giving back to the carbon issue kind of over the long term. So it's it's a first upfront cost and a long term impact. Um, you know, with sustainability, JD, it has it has been a path and a journey because you know Perkins and Will um, developed you know was very was one of the first um, studios in in Minnesota to do a lead building with um, Great River Energy, and we have continued to lead the way with that. We um, developed the Rely standards. Doug Pearson, our studio, developed those about six years ago. Those are resilient standards. So how to make resilient buildings and communities that can withstand trauma. And so we were doing that before the pandemic. So that was sort of the next step forward. And I think now we're in this moment of how do we actually change the types of materials and, and processes to, to take the next step forward, which I think timber frame construction is sort of the next, yeah, the, the next big thing right now. Yeah. Great. What uh, most excites you about architecture and design right now? I think there's so much opportunity to really um, create really creative teams. I think I see the younger um, generation coming into the into our studio with so much passion and so much commitment to some of these issues that I've brought up with social responsibility or climate change. And they real they're in a different moment. They realize that it's sort of now or never and they feel that um, they have that energy. And I think tapping into some of that commitment to design for the greater good and really working together, um, it really excites me. And, um, you know, I think also on, on the other end of the spectrum are folks that are, you know, at the end of their career and they have all this wisdom and knowledge and they are also hungry to do better. I think architects always 
our people who are learning, who are wanting to create the future for our communities because we create the spaces that people live in. And so I just see a lot of energy of, of us wanting to come to back together after th- you know two and a half years of being apart, learn from one another, and start to start to really reinvest in, in our relationships and um, do great things for our communities again. Yeah, cool. Rising construction costs uh, kind yeah. of on the top of everybody's mind. How is this impacting architecture? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, it, we're kind of starting to see some hesitation um, a little bit, you know, but I, I think that it's also tied to just schedule scheduling and supply chain issues. I think that's what's really been hard um, for everyone, um, not only architects, but obviously, I mean, it's been very hard for our clients. It's very hard to have a lease expire at a certain time and need to get into a space and not have materials ready to, to finish that space. Or, you know, for someone to have the funding this year to do this big, really exciting project, but not be able to get the materials to do it. Um, and so because of that, scheduling issues have drawn things out. And then now with you know inflation and rising prices, we are seeing um, some hesitation in the market, and um, I, I think we're we're trying to be able to. Um, what we end up doing from a process perspective is we engage contractors early on, and um, so we no longer uh, tip- go through a typical construction project where it's design and then you bid it and then you build it. It's it's engaging a contractor. Um, from day one so that they can be a partner to help with cost. And so that way we make sure we're analyzing cost um, regularly and we have a, a feedback loop with the client so that they can make decisions so that their budget um, and schedule needs are met throughout the process. Yeah. Cool. I'm not sure I have any other questions, Jennifer. Is there anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask about? Oh, I I guess yeah um not really I mean I I guess I just really feel um honored I I Perkins and Will is an incredible organization I there are other women that have um taken on the managing director role and so it's been um really wonderful to be able to connect with them too and I, you know the great thing about a large firm with lots of very smart people is we are constantly learning from each other so um I know that the Minneapolis studio is going to do great things and I appreciate you giving me a platform to share this with you JD yeah of course thank you so much uh it was it was great talking to you great thank you all right take care take care bye